the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 3. We'll go as long as my voice goes. <laughs> some of you are praying for me. Some of you are praying against me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know you. <clears throat> I might lapse into that very white kind of uh, voice here in a minute. Some of you are too young. first time we had a service here at Fullness, um, not in this building, it was down uh, near Chuck E. Cheese on Highway 31, that was our first location. It's a little building, probably if you like went from where I'm standing that way, it was about that size. Uh, it, was, it was tiny. And we met there for the first year, and the first day we opened our doors, uh, this is what the bulletin the outside cover looked like. Uh, it was April 11th, 1993. How many of you there April 11th, 1993, that Easter? Man, were you all there? Were you all at that Easter service? I thought you were there. Um, April 11th, 19, it's a long time ago now. Here's the, in, this is the inside cover. What did I preach on? I can't even read it. From death to life. Uh, it was Easter, so that's a safe bet, right? From death to life and... We had worked out all this stuff. It cracked me up. We, we, um, I started reading this. We were uh, looking through some boxes to throw away old things the other day, and we came across a bunch of our flyers and stuff from the first days, and we actually had saved a stack of these bulletins. Um, and here's how bad things are. I can't read it without my glasses. That's how old I've gotten. But um, it, it says on this inside flap right here, I laughed at this. It said, Fullness Christian Fellowship, a body of believers which began in February 1993 with the expressed desire and vision to worship in an open spirit led. Now, here's what cracked me up. This is April 1993. So I'm already like historically saying we began in February of 1993. We've made it to April. <laughs> they said we wouldn't last. We got a good solid two months, enough to put in print. So... Anyway, this is our first uh, bulletin, and over the last 26 years, God has uh, been very faithful. He has done great things in our, in our midst, and a lot of times around this time, we celebrate an anniversary celebration. We had a big event last year since it was our 25th anniversary, really a whole month of celebrating, and I, I don't know what you do on your 26th, but we instead this year focused just on the cross and on Easter, and all that God has done. And this is a church that's by no means perfect. Um, the pastor is not perfect. Elders, staff, none of us uh, engaged in this process is perfect. But um, the good news is this. If we were perfect, then we wouldn't need grace, right? But we all stand here as recipients of the grace of God. And I want to say, after 26 years of pastoring this church, it is grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me on home. We have a great church, a great place to worship, and I stand in great anticipation of what God 
is going to do in the days ahead. And so this morning, following up on our series on the cross, and by the way, we have some great sermons coming up, um, not just because I'll be preaching some of them, but uh, I just love the series we're going to do this summer. We're going to do a series called The Untouchables, uh, The Untouchables, and we titled that uh, that uh, because it's the books of the Bible no one wants to preach on. You know, those Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, the Song of Solomon, Lamentations. Isn't it fun? <laughs> You're going to love it. It's going to be fun. Each week, we're going to look at a different book of the Bible. You know, I'm figuring that if God put it in the Bible, he put it there for a reason, right? Uh, not just to make us struggle through trying to get through Leviticus in our yearly Bible reading. Uh, you know, the, the Grand Canyon of death of Bible reading is around Leviticus and Numbers. If people start off strong, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, it's just, boom, we just are, are gone. They, they're there for a reason. And so we want to look at what God is saying, both in its context and in the person of Christ and for the future. That'll start in about three weeks, and uh, we're going to do that through through the summer. So get 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 excited about it. It'll be fun. This morning, what I wanted to do is I wanted to look back at our, what I would consider the theme passage for Fullness Christian Fellowship. Uh, for those of you who've been here for 26 years, you know I've preached this passage over and over and over and over again, and I, I think that we should keep looking at it because we, we may receive it at one level, but then something happens in our life or we get hit in the face in a certain way, and it, it'll come to light in a whole new level, a whole new revelation of God. So this morning, I want to look at Ephesians 3, verses 14 and following, and talk about the limitless power of God. Yeah, I mean, just jumping ahead, kind of giving my hand away a little bit, I speak the benediction over us from this passage every single week, now to him who is able to do what? immeasurably more than all we can ask or what? I want to talk about the limitless power of God that we can tap into that can do more than I can ask or imagine. Uh, those are not just words I speak over. I, I pray that because I've spoken it over our congregation every Sunday for 26 years, that somewhere in our hearts and our lives, faith is rising up to say we serve a limitless God. He can do more than I can ask or even imagine. And how do we walk in these limitless possibilities? Here, here's a dance I'm going to try and, I'm not going to really dance, but the word dance that I'm going to try and do today is if you're not careful, when you start talking about the limitless power of God that he has for us, if, if you, you, you'll fall into a ditch that the American church has fallen into, which I'll label and has been labeled by others, the prosperity doctrine. Like God wants everything that's promised us in the heavenly realms, he, he, it's, we got it now. And um, the other ditch that a lot of people fall in on the other side is the ditch that no, everything God promised us is only for the future. We don't get to walk in any of it now. The kingdom of God and all his promises and things that he wants to do for us are, are in eternity. And I want to say this, somewhere in between the already and the not yet is where we live. 
We live in this tension between God's limitless power, which will be fully realized in our lives when Jesus comes again, and uh, it's not yet happened. We still live in the tension of the present day. Some people lean a little too far to the already, and a little, most of us really lean a little too far to the not yet. Am I making sense? So for, for those of you who are walking in the not yet kind of mentality, like, you know, this is the best I can do, I'm just going to have to suffer through, I want to I raise the possibilities for you today. To, to say, I don't know where God has, but it's probably more than this, if we serve a limitless God. And for those of you who are just claiming it, naming it, jumping in it, whatever, uh, that's all right, just go, just, just go, but don't beat anybody else up who might not quite be there. So just, there's this tension, let's just walk in this tension. Hopefully you'll see that as we go along. Ephesians 3, 14 says this, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The fatherhood of God, we're going to talk about this a little bit in June on Father's Day, a little bit on Mother's Day as well, that really family comes from God. People, this is crucial. Please hang with me. Family comes from God. Who defines family? God defines family because God's the one through whom all family derives its name. He is, he is the standard. Paul says here in verse 14, he says, for this reason. When Paul says for this reason, it means he's premising what he's about to say on what he's already said. He's looking forward and backward at the same time. And what's funny about Paul is, is this is the third time in Ephesians he's saying, for this reason. If you look back at Ephesians 3, 1, he says, for this reason. And what, what is the reason that he's talking about? Well, he's, prayed for, he's praised God. He's given prayer. He's talked about um, salvation coming from God, us being dead, but now being made alive. And he's about to, to, to say some more stuff and Coming out of that, he says, for this reason, but then he gets interrupted in his own thought in verse 1, and he says, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> it's the way he writes. For this reason. Oh, by the way, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the mystery that was revealed, the mystery that was hidden but's now revealed. This greatest mystery of all time is that God has made the Gentiles part of his family. Those who were Jewish already claimed, hey, we came from Abraham, we're God's family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we're the family of God. And Paul starts saying, look, for this reason, oh, what re what's the reason? Well, let me just remind you that everybody now, through Jesus, has an opportunity to become part of the family of God. And he... I love this passage so much. I've studied it over and over again. It, I'll try not to get too bogged down here, but it's really good. He says, and for this reason, the church is being called to display the glory of God, the mystery of God to the world around us. This is all in verses 1 through 13 of chapter 3. The church is what God has chosen. The church is what God has ordained to display his glory to the world. 
and this mystery that was hidden. Why the church? Because the church is supposed to be made up of a bunch of people from all different backgrounds, Jew, Gentile, male, female, black, white, um, whatever background, all of us coming together. We hold up because we are one family in this building. We can display to the world the glory of God. No other way. We couldn't be one apart from him. And as a result, when we do what we're supposed to do, we're held up like God's diamond to the world where the light hits it and all the facets of the glory of God is displayed to the world. Then he gets to this point and he goes back to for this reason. And now he's going to quit explaining and start praying. He's going to start praying for us, the church, the family. And here he prays three specific things. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He prays that that we will have the power of the Holy Spirit in filling us and indwelling us. And then he goes on and says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now, I'm not really preaching on this passage today. I'm just giving you the highlight of it as I lead in. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to receive and walk in the love of God. I, I, he's saying, I pray out of his glorious riches, this may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts in faith. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't even have the, the, the ability to have the love of Christ indwell us. This is, we get all caught up in how does a person get saved. There's a mysterious aspect to it, but I do know this, I cannot save myself. I cannot intellectually convince myself that Jesus is Christ. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ in faith being realized in my life. And so Paul is praying, look, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll dwell in your heart and that Christ's love, which by the way, surpasses knowledge, that you'll know that which surpasses knowledge. Do you get it? Oh, how do I know something I can't know? How do I know something I can't know? I know it by the power of the Holy Spirit who reveals it to me. Um, Gabe preached from uh, Matthew last week. I think it was Matthew. Um, but he preached that, that passage of the great declaration of Peter. Who do people say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but it's been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. How do we gain spiritual truth? It's revealed to us by the power of the Spirit. It comes as revelation knowledge. That's why the person of the Holy Spirit is not an optional accessory to my car. I mean, it's not an option. He, he is essential to my, all of my life. Everything I need because I can't walk in knowledge without him. And then he goes on that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, a passage from which we get our name, that we will all be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Does anyone at times look at this passage, and maybe you don't look at it as often as I do, but say, 
That is just impossible. It is impossible to be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. And I want to say, I don't think Paul would have put it there if it is impossible. In other words, part of the limitless power of God is that you can be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. If you'll walk it out in faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's where I want us to, to leap into and look here for just a minute. I'll, I'll give you a confession. Of course, as Gabe said last week, we do not recommend movies, right? <laughs> you go see movies at your own risk. You do your own stuff. But a couple of my family members and I went and saw uh, uh, The Avengers Endgame this week. Do you want me, do you want me to tell you how it ends? <laughs> Some of you are in horror. No, 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 don't tell me yet. I mean, I think there have been 20, 21, 22 Marvel movies so far. And supposedly they've been all leading up to the culmination of this movie. I think it's made over a billion and a half, maybe two billion dollars worldwide so far. It's on track to become the, the, the highest grossing movie of all time. There's something about the anticipation of the ending that at times just we, we get all caught up in it, like we're on the edge of our seats. Well, except not me. I go to the theater with the recliners now because I'm getting old. So I'm just going to sit back and watch. But in anticipation, you sit on the edge of your seat. You're waiting. You're waiting for, for something to happen. You're coming to that place in the novel where it's all coming together. You're coming to that place in a movie or a story or, or life. And I, I have to tell you, that's the way, that's what I feel right now about this church. I feel like in 26 years, God has brought us to this place for this moment, for this future. Uh, I, I love the team that God has put together in this place. Um, the people that are on staff right now, the, the, just everything that's going on, our elders, the, the, the people that God is bringing into this place, I believe, as I said, we're on the edge of really stepping into what God has for us. And I, I'm not just saying that to, to blow smoke. And I, honestly, I don't care in a sense, how big fullness ever gets numerically. It's never been a drive for me. Um, you know, there are times when um, I, I, I want to say, man, I really wish fullness would double um, by next year. And honestly, I have to, t I'll give you my, my selfish reason, is because there are like five people I'd like to bring on staff. You know what I mean? There's like five people I would love to have enough money to hire right now just because I love them and I would love to work with them. Now, I know that's self-centered, forgive me, but I think it's a pretty good motive to support people. And, you know, fullness of double. Plus, if we doubled, we could give a lot more money away in missions and to help and to do other things. So I, I would love fullness to, to, to grow just because I think we can have a greater influence, not because I care what the numbers look like. But more importantly than that, I think we stand at the, at the precipice, so to speak, of doing great things for God's kingdom. And I look forward in the days ahead, and I believe in a limitless God who's going to help drive us to the future. But I, I think individually and corporately, there are some things that need to take place 
for us to begin to walk in this limitless power of God and the benediction that I speak over us every single week from the end of this prayer. So this is the prayer I've just given to you about knowing the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God, and then he closes with it, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine. How do we get to this point of walking in the more than we can ask or imagine? That's the four points of my sermon. Here we go. Number one, look outward. Look outward. Here's the challenge. As soon as I start talking about he can do more than I, all I can ask or even imagine, because of the way we are, we start thinking about, oh, I can't wait. This is going to be a real blessing for me. You know, the, uh, the, we, we immediately internalize and selfishly make all that we can ask or even imagine about what God can do for, for me. Instead, this whole prayer is a prayer for the church, prayer for the kingdom, what God can do for us. God can do for his kingdom's sake. Philippians 2, just let me throw a couple of passages your way. Philippians, well, where's Philippians 2? I skipped it. Each of you should not only should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We know that passage. In other words, how should our attitude be? Same as Jesus. How is Jesus' attitude? Laid down his life. Then in Philippians, there, wow, things are out of order. Caroline, what'd you do? <laughs> look, the one person I don't want to hack off is Caroline. I have to tell you. She and Kathy, uh, man, I'm in big trouble if I get them on my bad side. Galatians 5.15 says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Look outward. Look outward. I'm reading a book by uh, author David Brooks right now. I'm about halfway through it. It's called The Second Mountain. David Brooks is an op-ed writer for the New York Times. Um, and his premise in this book is that the first mountain that many people climb in their lives is the mountain of self-realization, um, getting to know yourself, accumulation of wealth, trying to get a job, make a name for yourself. It's all about elevating your, yourself. And most people get to the top of the first mountain or they get thrown off the first mountain for whatever reason, and they realize that it doesn't, this, what they've accumulated, what they've become, who they're known by, they're not really happy. They are not happy. As a result, he encourages people to, to move through the first mountain, but with an eye on what he calls the second mountain. And the second mountain is the mountain of giving yourself away. The, the mountain that says, this is not about what I get, it's what I get to give. The, the, the mountain that says it's not about my name, it's about helping you achieve yours. And it, it's very fascinating discussion, and uh, I really don't know everything about David Brooks, but he quotes C.S. Lewis a ton, obviously, in this book. And it, it, it really got me reflecting that so often we, 
we're so focused on ourselves that we don't experience joy in the now. I've used this illustration before. Kathy and I have been married uh, for a long time. Uh, <laughs> uh, 31 years coming up on. 31 years. Is that right? She's not here. 31 years. Uh, anyway, I took Kathy. I'm going to tell the story, and then I'm going to get in so much trouble. I took Kathy the first time to meet my parents. Kathy's not real good with math at times. So I took Kathy to meet my parents. And uh, uh, my mom and dad were asking her some questions. Hey, Kathy, how long have your parents been married? Oh, they've been married 40 years. Oh, that's awesome. How many kids? Oh, five kids. Oh, great. How old's your oldest brother? He's about 44, 45. And I'm thinking, wait, this math doesn't add up. 40 years, 45. Maybe there's something she didn't tell me about her family I didn't know uh, about. You know, it's, it's cool, but I just didn't know this. So later I said to her, so Kathy, your, your parents have been married 40 and your brother's 44. She goes, well, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> you're, you're right, it doesn't sound right. Her parents have been married longer than that, but <laughs> we've been married 31. How old are you, Jared? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so anyway... On our honeymoon, I'm so glad she's down with the kids. But some of you tattletales will go right down and tell her everything I've ever said. I know. She tells me, oh, so-and-so rushed right down and told me everything you said about me in church today. <laughs> On our honeymoon, we went to this all-inclusive resort in the Dominican Republic. You know, I purchased it. I was in charge of getting the, making the honeymoon plans and um, we got there, and um, it was all-inclusive, but the all was not quite as broad as I thought. You know what I mean? When they said all-inclusive, I, I thought all meant like air conditioning. You know, like <laughs> you know, that, that kind of all, uh, kind of the American standard. But it was kind of more of like a, it was a great place, but it just didn't have air. It just had ceiling fans. It was more on the beach. It was just more rustic than I had imagined. And so in my heart, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is, this is rough. I mean, I, I, as a guy, I was like, this is going to be great, but I don't, you know, I don't know. This is not what I was thinking as far as honeymoon. My wife said not one negative thing the entire time. All she said was how wonderful it was, what a great place it was, how awesome it was. Um, it couldn't have been better. And I'm thinking in my, in my head, eh, it could have been a little better. I mean, it could have had air conditioning. Not once did she say anything negative. And I got to tell you, because of her attitude about it, it changed the whole experience. Because of what she went in with, it just changed everything. And I, and I want to say for us, we can change the whole atmosphere of a place if we'll look outward and we'll look outward with the joy of the Lord rather than looking inward with a selfish perspective. I know that's a hard word, but it changes everything. If we want to walk in the limitless possibilities of God, we need to lift up our eyes and look outward to what God has given. I have this picture um, on my computer uh, this is a picture of the Grand Tetons. Uh, I actually took this picture. 
This is a picture I took when I was hiking with Adam last fall. Uh, I've told you before, he took me on this 20-mile hike, and it was a little rugged, a little more than I bid off, you know, and I, I tried not to complain because uh, I wanted to have a good time with Adam, and we're hiking. And here's the picture. This is a more realistic kind of picture, the mountains in the background. And I don't know, you can kind of see a trail uh, that we're walking. Adam is on the trail, but it looks more just like rocks. And uh, here's, here's the deal. When you're old like I am, you're worried about twisting something on these rocks. I mean, my ankles are pretty good, and I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm not in bad shape. I'm in decent shape for a, a man my age, but I'm still a man my age. And so I'm walking this trail, and I realized 99% of my time was spent looking down. I'm looking down at my path and my trail and my next step, and what am I going to do? I don't want to fall off the mountain. Uh, I don't want to twist. I don't want to twist my ankle. But then I look up. I look up and I see this, and I'm like, "Holy cow! I'm missing. I'm missing the hike for the hike." You know what I mean? I'm missing the view because I'm so worried about my path, my journey. I'm missing the most spectacular, and I saw a thing the other day that the Grand Tetons was listed as, by some people as the number one most beautiful national park in the country. I, I, I agree with them. I think it's just gorgeous. Now, you can argue. I know there's a lot of gorgeous spots. Here's my point. If you keep looking at yourself or looking down at your path, you're never going to walk in the limitless possibilities of God because you won't even see it. We need to lift our eyes and to look around us. It's about perspective. Do you know most studies say that in the pursuit of happiness, once you get past having enough resources to meeting your basic needs, that However much money you have after that, it does not correlate in any way to happiness. I mean, you know, it's that hierarchy of needs, but once you've received resources that provide for your housing and your food and your transportation and, that, and you feel comfortable, the difference between that and a ton of money, there is no correlation in happiness quotient. Why? Because people like that, all they're focused on is the accumulate. They're stuck on the first mountain of self-actualization rather than giving their lives away. Also, if, you, if you're always looking at your lack, then you'll never walk in the limitless of God. Instead, start looking at God. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open, that you can know the incomparable great power that's available to us, those of us who believe. So I do have three other points, but the first point was pretty good so far. Look outward. Second point, pursue excellence. Pursue excellence. I want to define excellence like this. Excellence is being a good steward. Simply put, excellence is being a good steward. Whatever God has entrusted to your care, 
which is everything, do the best with it that you can do. You know, excellence in our culture has become an idol, kind of like, oh, I've, I've got to do things perfectly. I'm not talking about perfectionism. I'm talking about doing things with excellence. The best that you can do with the time you have, with the resources God has given you and his power that indwells you. That's good stewardship. Passages say, whatever your hand finds to do, oh, just get by. No, do it with all your might. Colossians 3.23, a sister passage says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. How? As working for the Lord, not for men. To me, these are definitions of excellence. If you're a student, God is entrusted as a steward this time in college. Do the best you can. Now, I, I know college students who, who, who get so focused on schoolwork that they have no friends. I, I'm not talking about that. He's also put friends in your life. Steward them. Steward relationships. Steward. In other words, to the best of your ability, be a good steward of all that God has entrusted to your care. Do you know your job is not actually about you? And it's not just about you making money. It's about you stewarding what God has given you. He, he allows that to happen in our lives. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you were baptized into Christ, and you clothed yourself with who? Think about it. Who are you wearing to work and school and every day? I'm wearing Jesus. So I'm going to represent Jesus. I'm going to represent him well to the best I can. It may not be perfect, but I'm going to do everything I can with excellence because it's a presentation or representation of Christ. From him, the whole body joined, held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Pursue excellence. Look outward, pursue excellence. Third point is this, live sacrificially. Live sacrificially. There are many passages that talk about us living as Christ lived, really dying as Christ died. Take up your cross daily and follow him. Christ lived a sacrificial life. And really, us living a sacrificial life, it leads to the promise that we give everything to God, and then he, in turn, allows us to walk in this limitless possibility of life. A couple of passages, and then I'll, I'll illustrate and I'll move on. 1 Corinthians, for the message of the cross is what? It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. A lot of different tiers here, but one of the reasons the power of the cross the, the message of the cross is foolishness is because the world does not want you to live sacrificially. Everything in you says, I, I want to be like God. I want to accumulate. I want to have power. I wanna, I'm going to take it all for me. The concept of living sacrificially is foolish. What You're going to give that away? You're going to just give it away? Are you some kind of nutcase in giving stuff away? That's why he said, if anyone would take 
Come after me. He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Paul says in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's the point I want to make in conjunction with this. If the, the, one of the truths woven through the fabric of the scripture, I believe, is that people who live sacrificially and give away, they receive bountifully. Now, this is where I want to be careful not to dance into the prosperity doctrine rhythms. But there is a truth that if we're not careful of, we get robbed of, right? In other words, if I were to look at some of the things of the prosperity doctrine and say, that's just junk, and I toss it, there's some things I'm tossing that maybe I shouldn't be tossing. One of those is that when I sacrifice, because God speaks to me to sacrifice, he takes it and does unbelievable things with it. Example. Jesus is teaching all day. Huge crowd, 5,000. His followers come to him and say, hey, master, you've got to get rid of these people. They're going to be hungry, and you know we don't want 5,000 hangry people on the mountainside. It's going to be not pretty if they're starving. And he said, well, you feed them. And they're like, oh, we don't got the resources. You know, we're just some poor fishermen too here. We don't have the resources to feed these people. I said, well, what have we got? They go do a little survey, do the disciple thing, come back. Well, we found one boy. <laughs> Cracks me up. 5,000 people, one little boy's got some food. Five loaves, two fishes. Bring it here. Takes the five loaves, two fishes, blesses it, starts breaking it. And what does it say? He said, he took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated. How much? Just enough to get by. We're going to give you a little snack, send you on your way. Hopefully you'll make it home before you die or pass out. No, he said, I'm, they, they had as much as they wanted. How did, here's the point. The boy sacrificially gave, Jesus took and multiplied. See, I, I think this truth is over and over again in the Bible where if, when you live sacrificially with an attitude of sacrificial living that God will take and help you walk in limitless possibilities. Now, I am not about to take up an offering where I manipulate you and say, hey, give whatever you got in your pocket right now, give sacrificially, live it. Give me that seed faith. We're going to take it down here, and then God is going to multiply it over and over again. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God has spoken to your heart at times to let go of something. Let it go. Why do you hang on to it? Well, you hang on to it because you're afraid that if I don't have this right now, something, I may need it in the future. We, we live in the most prosperous nation ever on the face of the earth. And you know what? One of the number one mental disorders we have rampant in our culture, the, the, the mental hoarding, where we can't get rid of stuff. I mean, we got stuff, everything we want to buy, we could go down to Walmart and get in like two seconds. 
but I'm afraid I may need this extra small widget ratchet, and so I'm going to save it with 2,000 others of them in this corner of the closet because I never know when I'll need it again. And then the next thing you know, our closet looks like an explosion of Dollar General junk all over our basement because we can't, we can't let go of it. Why? Well, I'm, I'm making fun in the sense we need to live sacrificially. I mean, think about there's, uh, there's so many Bible stories starting back in Kings, for instance. You know, Elijah comes to this woman and says, hey, would you make me a meal? And she goes, well, I'm just gathering some stuff to make a meal for me and my boy, and then I'm going to go make it, and we're going to die. You know the story? And he says, hey, I'm going to, well, let's get things together, and you're, you won't die. So she said, okay, I'll, I'll give you what I've got. And then she lives, God provides oil and bread. As long as Elijah was there, she never had lack. We need to live sacrificially. And I think it's when we live sacrificially that we can then begin to walk in the limitless possibilities of God. The creative things. In other words, God may be saying, hey, Bart, I want you to, I want you to give me this. And I can't even tell you what I'm going to give you because it would blow your mind too much if I, if I gave you that. And listen, I got a pretty vivid imagination. I can think of a lot of stuff. I mean, really, I could, I could think of some great things, but... I, I was looking this week, I love doing this at times, where I just look at things men are dreaming about in the future. Things men are dreaming about. So this is, um, this is a city, it's really a, a building in Tokyo, and it's not going to give you the, the magnitude of it because it is a mile-high building. A mile-high building um, that they've got on the plans. Their architects are, are finishing the design they're hoping to have it built by 2045. 2045, a mile-high building in Tokyo built on reclaimed land that will house 55,000 people in the building. I mean, Tokyo is running out of land, so the only direction they have to go is, is up. And the, the engineering that it takes to build a mile-high building, think about this, just the elevators. How long does it take me to get from the bottom to the top? What about wind and earthquakes and all of that kind of stuff? There's another building in Tokyo they're designing right now that will house over 100,000 people. It's more pyramid-shaped. And so the designs of men are incredible. You've probably read about the um, Hyperloop technology that uh, Elon Musk is designing with uh, Tesla and SpaceX. Elon Musk is designing this tunnel train that will go from... Uh, Los Angeles to San Francisco, and I, I wrote this down, hold on, because I, I get it confused a little bit. Los Angeles to San Francisco, which is a distance of about 400 miles. Uh, it takes now over six hours to drive it. It will, it will get you from L.A. to San Francisco in 35 minutes. 35 minutes. He's tested it already underneath, and now he's just trying to get the funding and all that takes place. And if you think that's incredible, part of that same technology is being designed and dreamed about to have a transatlantic tunnel uh, that goes from London to New York. London to, to New York. 
uh, it would be suspended 50 meters below the surface of the ocean. It'd be a vacuum-sealed tube. It would get you from London to New York. Now listen to this, as it's de- they're trying to design it. It would get you there in 54 minutes. That's a distance of 3,500 miles. That's seven times the speed of sound. Man is thinking unbelievable things. Dreaming up big stuff and tiny stuff. Nanotechnology. Nanobites. Tiny things to put in your body to to go target diseased cells. They would target just cancer cells and to take medication. I mean, think about it. Nanobites, nanocells that would be put in your body and they would go and target the exact cells and distribute the medicine needed. Man is thinking incredible, incredible things. And yet we serve a God who thinks even bigger, thinks even more, goes beyond our ability. And what I'm saying is living sacrificially, if you don't live sacrificially, you, you live in the what I can see, what I can touch, what I can hang on to. Living sacrificially says, I give that up. I, I, I offer it to God in order to walk in the immeasurably more. We need wisdom from God on how to do that. How to do that, which leads me to the fourth point. We, all of this ultimately comes down to a point of trusting God. Trusting God. We need to trust him at a greater measure. God is not limited by time or space. He he has no limits. There's an old story told of uh, some scientists who came to God. They said, God, we just thought we'd let you know we really have no need of you anymore. And he was like, oh, okay, why is that? And he said, well, we have figured out how to make men from dirt, just like you did. You made man from dirt. We figured out how to make man from dirt as well. We really don't need you anymore. God said, great. I tell you what, let's have a man-making contest. And the scientist said, oh, great. Yeah, we'll, we'll take the challenge. And so um, God got the scientists together, and the scientists reached down to grab some dirt, and God said, uh, no, go make your own dirt. You know, no matter what we think, when we get to a place where we... Some of you are going to get it later. Uh, really, it's kinda, it is kind of funny, cute. But the truth being, God, everything we know came out of what God spoke and said. He created everything. We take what God has already given us, and we do incredible things with it, but ultimately it first came from Him. Right? So we have to trust God in the way he lives because he has no limits to his kingdom. He has no limits. He's not limited by space. He's not limited by time. He's not limited by knowledge. We, however, are limited by all of those things. I want to encourage you today. Caroline, will you skip down to the last slides for me? I want to encourage you today to walk in the immeasurably more that God has for us. Uh, he, can, he can provide for us. Going back to that passage uh, of what God is able to do, it says that 
Now to him who is able. Who's able? Me or you? No, it's God who is able. What's he able? He's able to do. That's the aspect of work. He can accomplish it. He is not idle or dead. He's able to do whatever we ask. He's able to do more than we can even think or imagine. He's able to do all, more than all. How much more? Immeasurably more. According to his power that is at work. And where is that power already? In us. It's not out there somewhere. He's already put his power in us to see this accomplished. Why? For his glory. For his glory, not mine. Listen, all of this is to say and to remind us that I believe God has brought us together as a people who can walk in the limitless possibilities of God. How do we do that? Well, again, quit looking at ourselves and look outward. Begin to to see how God wants to work in and through us. Uh, do, Do everything we do to the best of our ability. Be good stewards of what God has entrusted to our care. Live sacrificially. Give it away. Find opportunities to give your life and resources and especially the message of the gospel away. And in every step, trust him. Trust God. He's going to direct He's going to direct your path. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We joy in you. You are a great God and greatly to be praised. I thank you for 26 years of ministry in this place with this people. Uh, Lord, thank you for the great things you've done, the great things you're going to do. I pray right now that we individually and corporately will walk in the limitless possibilities that you have in front of us. God, forgive us where we have limited who you are and what you want to do. And Lord, today I pray that we would indeed be a people who celebrate the truth that our risen Lord, our Jesus, is God and King. And that you're withholding nothing good from us. Forgive us, Lord. Where we limit you. And therefore limit what you want to do in this place. Thank you for your limitless possibilities. In Jesus' name. Amen.